the whole thing with marketing now is being good to the end user. Because if you're not good, it's not going to work. Bonjour, bonjour. Welcome to everyonehatesmarketers.com. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. Everyonehatesmarketer.com is a podcast for digital marketers who are sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I interview no-nonsense marketers who are not afraid to cut through the bullshit and say things as they are. So during this show, we learn how to get more visitors, more leads, more customers, more long-term profit by using good marketing, by treating people the way we like to be treated. Uh, head over to everyonehatesmarketers.com to subscribe to the email list. Uh, we'll, be, we'll notify you before anybody else of our future guests. Uh, you'll also help us to come up with great questions for the future guests. Uh, you'll also get access to uh, the numbers in terms of number of listens and downloads of the podcast. And also, quite simply, to have great one-to-one -one conversation if you need any help. Welcome to episode number 10 already of everyonehatesmarketers.com. So in this episode, I interviewed Dave Nevoct, and he's the founder and the CEO of Hubstaff, which is a software to help remote teams to manage their team. And this was one of the first episodes I recorded. And at the time, I was focusing on transparent entrepreneurs, so entrepreneurs and founders who were actually sharing their journey openly. And I actually believe that company founders are the best marketers out there because they had to take their business from absolutely nothing to something using marketing. Uh, so during the first half of this interview with Dave, uh, we talk about his journey from running a golf trading business then to starting Hubstaff and how he got his very first customers and then grew the business. And during the second half and second part of this episode, we are talking about, Dave actually shares with us why he believes that bad products and bad marketing will just die on their own, which is a very optimistic view. He's also going to share how he managed to get a really good understanding of his customers and how you can do the same. And finally, he's also sharing a mistake that cost him $7,000 working with a marketing agency. Uh, so there's plenty of other tips he will share with us. So have a listen and let me know what you think. Hi, Dave. Hey, how you doing? Pretty good. Thanks for coming into the, to the podcast. Thanks for taking the time to do it. Yeah, appreciate you having me. Um, right. So first question is, what's better? Is it to hit a hole-in-one in golf or is it to run a, a remote business with 25 employees? Probably hit a hole in golf. I mean, I don't have one. I don't have one. So you got uh, me. Yeah, I really thought you would say the second one. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, yeah. I feel like I feel like one is a lot easier, which is to have a company of twenty five employees. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Do we yeah. know actually the stats in terms of what the percentage of hole in ones in golf, like in any uh, tournament? No. Nah. No idea. No idea. Oh. I'm a no. scientific guy. I like to know percentage like this. Mm. Who's the, there's a celebrity who, who hit a hole in one recently. No, not a hole in one. Sorry. The longest putt recorded in TV history. No idea. Oh, it was done by uh, a celebrity recently. Anyway, I'll find it and I'll put it in the notes. Right. The reason why obviously I'm asking, asking this question is because uh, Dave has uh, had a business related to golf before, right? Yeah. Right. So you founded it in 2004. Yeah, 2004, that's right, yeah. And then you started Hubstaff in 2012. Yeah, I've, I ran the golf business for, um, I don't know, probably nine years, something like that. I In the meantime, I, I, I bought another software platform um, with a group of investors, ran that for about four or five years um, on the side, started Hubstaff. Um, and, you know, all the golf business, I think, was, um, you know, right around probably like $1.7 million at its top. And then the other software system, um, or it actually was a software service. It was, a, it, I think it was about 2.4 or something like that. And we're working more up there with Hubstaff now. So um, that's where we're, but you know, all of them have, been, I say that all of them have been pretty small businesses. Yeah. And when you talk about 1.7 million, was it in revenue per year? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So how did you, how did you come across, like, why did you build this first business, the gold business? Uh, I just didn't like working for another company. I, I wanted, I, I, uh, I was young and I, you know, um, 
just didn't feel challenged in my in my job in my role. Didn't want to look around me and you know saw the middle level managers that kind of thing and just decided, hey man, this is not what I want to do. And just, just kind of started this business on the side. It started to make money, um, and then I I basically made enough to where I could leave my job. And then from there, it kind of it grew a lot faster because I was able to put it full time into it. From the time you started to work on this side project to the time where you were able to leave off it full time, like what was the span of no, time? Probably four months. Only four months. All right. Okay. Yeah. It was pretty quick. Yeah. And so did you found this business just from the money you got from customers or did you add money to it? it yeah. It just came from the, well, yeah, it was, a, you know, it was a ebook dvd training aid type business so really my biggest cost was advertising and yeah that was paid for by the profits of the business all right okay so we didn't have to pay there wasn't a lot of expenses and and so you you said then that you started another sort of a software as a service business in between as well yeah bought it yeah we bought a company and with it with the i put the golf business up for sale uh, in that process, I met a, a group of investors looking to buy businesses. They were looking at my golf business, uh, decided against it, but found another one and basically asked me to come on board and run it because they knew that I was uh, leaving the golf business. And so ran that company. I put you know money I think I owed or owned um, uh, 18%, something like that, um, of it and um, ran that for like four or five years. In the meantime, started Hubstaff. All right. Okay. I read a lot of your blog posts before and actually I really admire the transparency in it. And I think that's another subject we can start talking about later. But you mentioned there's one blog post in particular that I really like because those are the ones that interest me the most is how you got started. So you explain how Mm -hmm. you got your first 25 customers, right? Right. Right. So we will obviously uh, put this blog post in the show notes, but I mean, for the listeners uh, who are not necessarily going to check the blog post, can you tell me more about how you actually got those 25 first customers? Yeah, I mean, we, well, you know, a lot of it was just, we had a product that was out there. Um, I mean, there's different, different time spans. So the first 25 free, you know, people using the software, do you want to know about or the first 25 actual paying customers? Well, let's talk about the the twenty five free one for a while. Yeah, so free, you know, free. Yeah, I mean, that's the first step. The first step we took, at least, um, was to basically go out and get the product built. We paid to have the product built, put it out there. We basically got some landing pages, you know, built with with keywords that we thought might be targeted to what we were looking for. Those those keywords were really really niched, so very small which is what we wanted because we knew that we couldn't compete in like time tracking, you know, because it's just, you know, a small site, new product, that kind of thing, just not going to happen. So we put out, you know, we tried to go for like time tracking with screenshots, time tracking with proof of work, that kind of stuff. And these are small keywords that aren't getting much pickup, but still we got to, you know, if you're, if you're driving, let's say even 20 or 30 people to the site on a daily basis that's you know you know 10% conversion rate in free trials you know so you're talking two to three from that then we had ads running so we we did the, you know mainly google adwords so this was kind of before facebook ads even it took had taken off uh, back in like 2011 2012 so we did google adwords got a lot from that into a free product found that the conversion rate into the free product from uh, you know adwords is pretty good which i guess you would expect um, AdWords is something that doesn't really work for us now, or we're finding hard to work for us now. So, but it was mainly a combination of just small SEO, niche SEO, and then um, you know advertising on Google. Okay, so you got those twenty-five first free customers. You didn't know them. They didn't know you. No, they no, 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 just no, no. trusted right, you. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, the no, details. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, I, they're totally cold. Hundred percent cold. And. And then how did you get the first 25 paying customers? Uh, well, that was a launch, basically a launch to our, to our list. So we had built up a list through the free product, which I think is important. That's a good thing that we learned is basically uh, to put out that free product uh, equals, you know, just people raising their hands as they're interested in the product. Um, and from there, you can launch, you can sell, you know, to them. Mm-hmm. 
And how many people did you have in this list? Do you remember? Uh, I mean, I'm going to guess, you know, somewhere around probably 7,000. Wow. All right. Yeah, and it was growing those... pretty fast as a free product. It was growing pretty fast. Yeah. And from, from those 7,000, how many paying customers did you get out of it? Uh, probably somewhere around 400. So yeah, six, 7% from yeah. least to paid, which is quite healthy. Yeah. I mean, I, we, we felt pretty bad about it at the time, but you know, I guess, you know, if you're talking about a free customer, which is another blog post I wrote, I wrote about, you know, how that didn't transpire the way we thought it would, you know, just a different type of user is looking for a free product in general. So, um, but yeah, I mean, coming, coming from a free, somebody that come in to li- come into the product for free, hundred percent free with no obligation of paying. Um, yeah, I guess it's all, it was all right. I've, I've heard this stat before and I'm not sure I need to find out exactly where, but I've read many times that when you have a mailing list of people who are interested in what you do, not necessarily who have bought anything from you before, but are mm-hmm. in the list, usually a 1% conversion rate from email right. to pays is actually quite healthy. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I believe that. So you, I think you overperformed a sevenfold. Yeah, uh, well, they were already in the product using it. You know what I'm saying? They were yeah, already in the product true. using it. So we basically said, okay, your access is going to be cut off by this you know, time. And there you were, or, you know, a lot of them were, um, were not using it anymore as well. So some of them mm. were, some of them weren't, you know, so some of them, and we also launched actually, it would have been a lot higher, but we actually, we, we launched with the, with the free person, three person, uh, free plan. So the majority of them were like in that, in that uh, zone. Um, and so that was another issue that we kind of messed up. We probably wouldn't do that again. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. So you would have charged from the first. Person. We would have charged for. We wouldn't have had that three person free. We'd have charged for three people or less. You know. Why so? I mean, well, just because we found that basically we we were we had that plan. We had the three person free plan for viral spread, uh, but we didn't find that it, it ever really got any viral spread. So we were thinking that you know, hey. I've got a team of three. I'll just, uh, it's free, you know, and we could get me- more mentions and more kind of more mentions, more, you know, word of mouth, more uh, referrals, that kind of thing to a free product, which may, I mean, I don't know, maybe, you know, four years ago now, maybe it would have had an effect by now. Um, but at the time, we weren't seeing it pick up. We weren't seeing, okay, we're getting just a ton of referrals in. So uh, a lot of people were trying to get around it too. They were, they would start like two or three different, you know, accounts and, hmm. you know, have 10 people in, but try to have, you know what I'm saying, three accounts. So it'd be free. So it was just a, it was just one of those things where I was like, ah, this is, let's just change this up. I think it's a uh, bear metrics and Josh Pickford who mentioned that they try to, uh, yeah. to turn their hundred percent paid product into a, a freemium, uh, yeah. and things went yeah very wrong because they had to maintain much like a lot of people sign up and what happened was then that a lot of people were just taking advantage of the service right or using that using basically their 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 data and server and, and like a lot of demand from for nothing because they are not ready to buy anyway All uh, right yeah i'm not explaining it very well i, I guess yeah. I'll, I'll also link the article there but that's it's an interesting thought because i've heard that before many times yeah well uh, one of the things too is like with my product that I didn't, I didn't realize this at all going into it that I, um, I really learned and I'll, I'll take this with me forever pretty much, uh, is that like in all the other companies that I've had, it's been a one-to-one ratio between somebody coming into the site and then paying you as a customer. So with the golf business, you get a guy coming in, he's got a bad golf swing and he wants to be have it fixed. Therefore he goes and buys DVDs and that's it. Now you get viral spread, you get him telling you know, talking about this and that with this, with hub staff, it's different because basically you get somebody coming in and let's say you, you know, you've got a team, let's say of three people, right? So you've got three contractors. Now we've actually got to support four people and we've got it. We've got, cause we got to support you in one onboarding flow. Then we got to support you three, your three team members in another flow, different, completely different type of, um, onboarding and different type of um, engagement 
and our support team had to support four people. So like with the, all those free accounts, we weren't getting a drop of revenue from any of that, but we had to bring on a ton of support. So, and, and, you know, our system architecture needs to, you know, so there's a lot of things that go into that, that, you know, behind the scenes are, um, you know, wouldn't be obvious. I, I think that's what Josh from, from Bearmetrics was explaining. So he explained it much better than me, which is, yeah, the support request went up the roof. They had to support right. that. And the infrastructure loads as well was quite heavy. Right. Um, right. So I, I just want to talk a little bit more about you in particular. So am I right to, to say that you're more a business person rather than a, a technical side person? Like you're not a developer. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so what all before all of those businesses, what did you study? What did what were your, uh, what was your dream job? Finance. All right, yeah, finance. finance, yeah. So you were due to be in your career as a finance, in finance. What, what was the, the role you were supposed to, to get? I got a job with the corporate finance, up with the big pharmaceutical company up in Chicago. And um, it, you know, it was a good job. It was fine um, out of college. But it just was, you know, it was like really low man on the totem pole. And that just didn't fit me, you know. Um, it wasn't, you know being cocky about it or anything, but it's like, I, I looked around and it's like, man, I don't want to spend 20 years of my life just to have a, you know what I'm saying? To, to, I, I want to be in more, I want to have, I need to have more control. You know, mm. I need to have control of my destiny. I don't even care if it was like owning a landscaping company. I'd rather do that than, you know what I'm saying? Have to go to work eight, eight to five every day and not be in control of my destiny. So freedom, control. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I needed I needed that, yeah. Um, how long did you stay in this first job? Like, what was the length of time before you started uh, the first business? Eighteen months. So, all right. But even I started it probably even twelve months in. Do you remember how old you were at this stage? Uh, twenty three. All right. Maybe maybe maybe, maybe even twenty two. Very yeah. good. Um, and I'm always interested to hear that from entrepreneurs in particular, but like, what, what did your parents do in terms of jobs? My parent, uh, my dad's an electrical engineer. My mom is a dental hygienist. And do you know any, do you have any entrepreneurs in your family? No. It's an interesting question to ask. And every time I ask, it's either I have none, mm -hmm. like, like I do, I don't have any, or I basically only have entrepreneurs in my family. Yeah, uh, but that doesn't seem to be a middle ground. It's either you're the first or you're the last. I think it'll be really hard to. I mean, my son. I've got two little boys, and I think it'll be really hard to grow up uh, with your parent as an entrepreneur and not try to do something similar in regards to that. It may be hard to to you know go get a you know regular job with your parents doing something, some owning their own company. You know, it just seems. It seems like, you know, it just seems strange. It seems mm. like a, a different way of doing it, I guess. I guess the pressure of working for somebody else while everybody else is working for, uh, for their own, uh, on their own is, could be quite high. On the other hand, though, in your situation and in mine, the pressure to break away from this corporate type of thinking where you work for somebody else, you have a decent job, nine to five, you, have, you, don't, 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 you don't take much risk. I think there's pressure there as well on the other side. It's like, yeah. whoa, hold on a second. Like, do you really want to do that? Did you have that yeah. in your family where, where they're telling you, hold on? Oh, yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, my, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, everybody says that, you know, the people at the other job, you know, hey, what about your health insurance? You're crazy just for going, you're, this is a great job, this and that, uh, you know. But the way I look at it, you know, I mean, like I said, the way I look at it before is is just that, Hey, I'm going to learn. It's not, this is not the only job I can ever get. I've got, you know, the skills is what gets you the job, not the, so, I mean, right after I quit that job, I had through friends, I mean, I had three people saying, Hey man, do you want a job with, I mean, with these, you know, not with these good big companies, it's not like you're stopping what you're doing, but it's, it's really good to take the risk. I think you, I think you learn way more by doing your own deal. Um, you know, if I would go out to get a job today, I, I could get a job very easily with, I think, probably hundreds of companies just because, I mean, I've been doing it for so long. And I, mm. you know, I mean, you can so much speak the language of the founders. I mean, you can sit down to the found, with the founder, the founder of the company and just say, man, you know, like I, I've been there. I've done it. Like I understand management. I understand finance. I understand um, 
you know, marketing, I understand product, I understand all these different things, and I have experience with those things. So if I was not doing, if I was not working for myself, I wouldn't have that experience, no way. That makes sense. Um, you guys are very pretty transparent. Um, you share, you know, how you got your first customers, you share about the VCs who talk to you, like, like trying to approach you to invest. You talked about why you've built this business. So you mentioned it, the freedom, the control on your blog. Mm. Uh, you also talked about how you found your co-founder, basically a lot of things, like pretty much everything is shared online with you guys, but can you share something with us now to the listeners that you've never told anyone about this business? Oh, I have to think about that. I don't know. We do share pretty much everything. I mean, all the big decisions, all the big things are pretty public. Uh, I'm trying to think about it. I mean, I guess I guess just one thing is that it's, I mean, I'm not sure that this got across in, in some of the stuff that I've said, but I mean, it's really, really hard to do this. I mean, like right now, we're four years in and we just went through a little downturn. And I mean, we have, we pay a company called Wupra like $800 a month in analytics. We go through segment. We've got all of our analytics set up. We've got, you know, a great, we've got our own basically data warehouse set up. We track every event that could possibly happen in the application, as well as people coming into the site. We have very good uh, vision in terms of what's happening. Um, And we went through this downturn and I had, I mean, I had, I spent five days trying to figure out what, what was happening and I still don't know. They just came back one day. <laughs> I mean, it was down for a month. I mean, we we were we we grew in October, and, it, and this just happened. We grew we grew in October half of what we were doing net net a monthly recurring. So we grew by I think thirty or you know four thousand dollars something like that. Um, when we were having months of like seven seventy five to eight before that um, in growth, and um, it was like just. Uh, Big customers weren't coming in the door, and it's like I I don't know, man. I have no idea why. What's going on? It so you still like, don't know. You know. Every no, every every place in the onboarding funnel looked the same. We were getting uh, more companies signing up in the in for the free trials. Uh, we were getting their 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 sizes were were fine. Their sizes were, um, you know, it wasn't like we were getting like all smaller companies in the door. All, all of a sudden, all of our rankings were the same or improving. Just they were just not choosing a plan. They were getting through the the funnel fine. They just were not choosing a plan. And it was like all of October. It was like, and we had less than upgrades. So I don't know. Like something happened. Like it was like uh, I don't know how you say it. It was it was just like uh, it was like an. It, I I was thinking that something was broken in the code. I was thinking that we weren't sending emails somehow. I was thinking that maybe. Things were getting marked as spam. All of our emails were being marked as spam. I was thinking that maybe someone do a strike. Um, international credit cards not being taken. I mean, I don't know. You know, it was, it was odd, very odd. But so it came back. So you had this period of time mm-hmm. where, like, the growth has uh, was reduced by fifty percent, right? Just yeah. to clarify on the number you shared, you're t- is it new business growth or yeah. is it okay? So new business uh, it's, it's everything. everything. New business growth plus plus churn. plus churn plus plus upgrades plus downgrades so the whole the net do you think it's possible that it's just bad luck in a sense that maybe many people decided to downgrade many people decided to uh to cancel no i mean i have i I understand no i mean i understand they weren't new growth was down new people choosing plans was down but then also upgrades was way down it was like something that it was like everyone was on vacation or something like that. You know? <laughs> it was odd. A glitch in the glitch in the matrix. Yeah, it was odd. It was odd. It was odd. Put it that way. But then it, you know, it came back. It was there, and it, and everything was fine. And and it's been like that for like eighteen months, and then everything just dropped down. And so my point is that this is a, it's not easy. It's very hard. We're two smart people running the company. We got twenty five people working for us that are all smart as well still cannot find a good reason for why this is happening. Oh, thanks for, for sharing this. And I guess, yeah, that's the, that's the underlying thing behind all of that is that it's tough. It is really difficult. Isn't it? I mean, I, I, I talked, I talked to 20, 20 customers. I, I was at the point where I was like, you know, calling What's people. Going on? Skype. Right. So anyway, yeah, that's the thing. It's, 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 uh, it's hard. 
Yeah, I appreciate your transparency. Uh, and I guess that's the next question. Uh, why are you being so transparent? I think that, oh man, I think that, I think if you think about it, isn't that what the best companies do, you know, in a way? Like the, the people that you follow, I mean, the company, think about the companies that you follow, I mean, online. I mean, aren't they all being transparent in a way? You know, I just read a post by Rand Fishkin and like, you know, he was very, uh, it was one of the best posts I ever read. And he was just very, very much like, hey, what, what, what do I not know yet? What did I learn that I want, that I want to kind of change? And like, what would I keep the same? And it was like just a very long, in-depth post about his business and, you know, high-level stuff, uh, you know, about funding and that kind of stuff, you know, relationships, that kind of thing. And that, you know, it's like, it's almost like, um, in my mind, it's almost like the, so uh, trust is the number one thing. And so actually, I'll take that back. I think product's the number one thing. And I think trust is secondary. And that, but that's, but it's, but it's like in marketing, it's almost number one. So product comes first, but that, that's kind of like, that's okay. You got a good product. If all remains the same, a person's going to buy from the person they trust. And so what I'm trying to do by being transparent is just getting to know, getting the customer to understand who I am and that they can trust me. They're buying my product. Um, this is a product that's, that's kind of no BS. It's, it's like, uh, they're using it to track the time of their people. They're using it to invoice their clients. They're using it to pay their employees. They're using it for things that, that you know, they, we can't have any downtime. They need to know that they're, that they're going to get good support from our team. They need to go there. They're going to get a fast answer. They need to know that the person, there's a per, real person behind the scenes. You know, so that's that's my angle. And I know they're out there testing several different platforms at the same time. I know they're testing different platforms. And I don't think that, I, like I said, I think they're going to go with the product that, that fits them the best, number one. So it's about product first. But the second thing is like, all right, are they going to give my product a, a, a little bit that little bit of an extra chance because they trust us? Yeah, that's a very interesting topic. Uh, I believe personally that trust is the currency of relationships. It's like the glue that right. connects us with each other, right? And I think businesses have lost the way in the last few decades because they are very corporate, very like non-emotional, very right. much like we are here from our ivory tower talking to our customers, but not even touching right. them with a stick, you know? Right. And trust had like dropped down because of that, trust in, in companies and, and institutions. And with the rise of internet, trust is going back. Companies have to share stuff. Um, right. And like I would, my personal experience and in the business, the way we buy, I don't like, we are not at a stage where we take a lot of decisions into buying software. It's kind of right. trying and taking a decision really exactly. the same day. Right? Right, 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 right. But maybe I'm on the very far end of the scale. And because we are involved in transparency as well, I have no problem signing up with a business that have a product that is not as good as a competitor but that is being more transparent because I feel I can trust them more and I can trust them to build the product better in the long run. Yeah. You, I think you feel like they're, you're, you're going to be listened to. I feel like, I think that you feel like there's, they might, uh, there, there's more, uh, I don't know. What I try to do is, is like I said, you know, uh, I just try to get, get them to know that there are real people behind behind I guess what I'm trying to avoid is like the whole like Microsoft thing where you got like you know it's like it's like am I gonna buy a product and have it just be made by this I'm not, am I ever gonna know the engineers or the people that are running this company am, are they like in some office in cubes just like you know what I'm saying I want it to be on a more personal level I think that too I think that it helps your churn rate a little bit I think that people are more likely to not turn out of your product if they know you and trust you. Um, and what I'm doing kind of is like a mini, a mini sales thing. You know, it's, it's kind of like, I, I don't usually get on the phone and talk or try to talk somebody into getting my product, but it's like, at least they know me and they know my email address and they can come, you know, they can reach out. If they need it. Right. Um, 
I want to move on to the next kind of part of the podcast. Yeah. And as I, as I mentioned before to you, uh, this podcast is really for digital marketers being sick of the marketing bullshit out there. Uh, they really want to grow as marketers. They want to help their company grow. They want to be better at what they do mm-hmm. without interrupting or misleading customers or treating them like non-humans. Um, right. So when was the last time you saw a marketing campaign or a website that made you cry? Oh, uh, I'm not sure I've ever had, I never have, I don't think. Um, I had one recently. I, I didn't cry out of sadness, right? I'm not talking about this type. I'm talking about like crying out of, oh my God, this is so bad. Yeah. What was never? It? No. Oh, I had, what was <laughs> it? Like the one that, the one that made me cringe the most is always using bad stock photos. Right. It's uh, like the ones uh, there's this girl, I should share it with you. There's, you know, this girl that you can see on every customer service yeah. chat, like she's yeah, yeah, brun- right, brunette right. with the headset. Yeah. I just, I just can't unsee it anymore. So every time <laughs> I see a website using it, I can't deal with it. I just can't. Right. Right. I hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Anything yeah. that pisses you off like this when you, that no, online? not really. I mean, I think, I think there's, there's one thing that, that upsets me, uh, and that's when basically I don't like the word chat. I don't like being offered a 15 minute chat. I don't like hearing somebody, Hey, do you have 15 minutes to chat? It will only take 20 minutes to chat. I don't like that because I don't have 20 minutes for anybody unless there's a benefit for my company in it. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I, I have 20 minutes for charity. I have 20 minutes for, for my sons. I have 20 minutes for, you know what I'm saying? Like, but I mean, I don't have, I'm, I don't have 20 minutes to sit there and listen to a sales pitch. <laughs> it's too much going on. So it's and and lately it's been like somebody will literally email me four or five or six times that in just an automated sequence, like, hey, just popping this back up in your inbox. Do you have the 20 minutes to chat this week? About about, about what? <laughs> like what do I why would I have 20 minutes to chat? Yeah. They don't even give guess... me a reason. They don't even give me a reason other than to introduce me to their company. I mean that, so that's that's the one thing that gets me, I guess. So that boils your blood a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, a chat. So yeah, for listeners out there who are trying to sell to hub staff, make sure not to mention chat or anything yeah. like this because it's right. not going to work whatsoever. Right. Um, right. Uh, I think we have a responsibility as marketers and entrepreneurs in general to to make the internet a better place. Um, to avoid using interrupting ads or that kind of stuff that make that make the experience very bad for people um so you personally how do you think marketers should like could do and should do to make the internet a better place mm, i think that you know i think that honestly i think it's good i think it's self-governing um i feel like it's self-governing i don't feel like you know that stuff's not going to work it's just not going to work you know, everyone talks about, oh, good content. You've got to, you've got to come out with good content and you've got to come out with, you know, like, you know, let's say two or three years ago, this big switch about, you know, Hey, only quality content is going to be the way to go, you know? Right. And now we're two years down the road. And what do you know, if you're not producing good content, you're not going to have rankings. You're not going to have traffic. You're not going to have, you're not going to have any sales. Even if you get somebody to the site, they're not going to be engaged. So you know, if you put a big pop up on the window, people are just gonna be pissed off and ready to go. I mean, right? I mean, th- I think things are self governing to a point where, you know, you've got to be, you've got to be good. You've got to be, and, and I think being good is, I think being a good marketer goes down the same path of what you're saying. In that, like, I think marketing is changing to be much more um, based on what's good for the user than what it was before it used to be where you could really talk in terms of what's good for me not not like not like what's good for me it always had to be focused around the customer but more along the lines of you could get them to do what you wanted them to do in marketing that was kind of the name of the game and you could kind of okay you've got to listen to this one cell uh one time offer you've got to play this video whatever now if you tried to have a one-time offer after uh, after somebody buys or whatever, and you force them to listen, I mean, you'd get probably 
10% of the people just hitting X and then emailing you immediately and saying, give me a refund. Or if I don't, if you don't give me a refund, I'm going to charge you back. I couldn't even get down with the product. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just saying like that stuff like that is just, I think it's self-governing. That's a good point. I actually didn't think of it this way too much. Yeah. It's a very it'll, good it'll, point. it'll weed itself out. Cause the, the whole thing with marketing now is being good to the end user, because if you're not good, it's not going to work. But the best marketers ever anyway, were all about customers from the first place. Uh, uh, exactly. Mm -hmm. And, and even if you think back about like marketing was created to link back the company being like building products on the side and the customer that were on the other side, because right. what happened was like at the very, when you think of business, the very core of a business is basically, if you think about middle age or this kind of, you know, centuries ago, you produce something, you sell it directly to the people. If they don't like it, they don't buy it you're out of business, right. you're going to, all right. And the more then we decentralize the production of goods with the selling of the goods, the more distance there was into the, co with the company and the customers. And therefore you had to create marketing to bridge the gap. Right. And I think you said that before the product, I guess the best yeah. kind of marketing is a good product, isn't it? Yeah. hundred percent. That's what we're, that's what we're learning. And that's why we dump like almost all our money into the product versus marketing. And even the marketing that we do is not really to uh, it really is is basically to help people use the product better, help them understand the product better. Um, it's all about the product because people are going to make their own minds up. It's hard for anybody to talk. It's hard for somebody to talk me into anything. I'm sure it's hard for somebody to talk you into anything. It's like I'm you're not I'm not going to change your mind by you know by calling you up and saying, hey man, like. Do you have 15 minutes to talk about this? And I can probably coerce you to use my product over, even if, especially if, you, if you're not even using a product that's like, like this right now. So we've, 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 we've tried, you know, cold email, we've tried cold calling, we've tried, you know what I'm saying, these different kind of outreach methods. I mean, if somebody's not using a product that's either similar or they don't have, you know, that's it, just really hard to do. Even if they are using products similar or they have a need, it's still like getting them to switch is like, uh, you know, it's hard. So they've got to be in the right mindset to to do to to even talk to them, and it's got to be on their time. That's the main thing. It's got to be on their time, you know. Yeah, I and so when so we've got to, you know, it all comes back to like, okay, we've got to be ready on their time. I've got to have support teams across all time zones because it's got to be, I've got to be ready on their time. I've got to be ready on their time. When they're ready to consume the content, they got to know where to find it. We've got to have good documentation. It's got to be on their time. It's got to be, we've got to have videos. We've got to have, um, we've got to have good videos. We've got to have, you know, webinars. We've got to offer them many times. And so a lot of, a lot of what we do is all put money put into helping the customer, like I said, understand the product or, or, uh, work the product out on their time. So I guess marketers working for companies selling shitty products or services are doomed, aren't they? They are. I think they are. I think the time is over. I think that there was a time when the internet was first being kind of started, like back in, you know, 98, 99 through probably 2005, where you could say, you know, where you could have a crappy product for a while. And then if you were doing better marketing, you would win the, the game. But that time I think is now over and the best product now wins. And I think it's only going to get more and more that way. Which means the best product, which is basically the best solution to the one of the customer problems, right? It's, it doesn't have to be like in, in our, inst in your instance, it's a, it's a SaaS software. It's a, a software, it's a SaaS business. Um, in other instances, it could be shoes or whatever, uh, or it could be a coaching program, whatever the product doesn't necessarily mean something tangible, like a, a software or something, but it has to solve the customer problem the best way possible for them to, to like it. And I guess that's the best form of marketing. Are you worried about competition at all? Yeah. I mean, a little bit, I'm worried about, I mean, I'm not worried about competition in regards to, I mean, I, what we do is super hard. First of all, it's, it's a hard business to be in. It's a, we have to support, we call it building our castle because it, it's, it's like, it's not like a shed you can construct in a day and like 
it's a castle that takes years and years and years to build. So right now, I mean, we got to support Mac, Windows, Linux, iOS, Android, Chrome, and the web, you know, um, and we've just got a lot of money and a lot of time into it. I know by very, very smart people building from the right way up. So um, I'm not worried about competition in that regard, but I'm worried about, you know, you, you're always worried about some somebody big doing something for free. You know, you got to be better than a free, you always have to be better than a free product. You're worried about, I guess, maybe a shift in belief or, the, or a product going out of style. You know, I'm not worried about that with my current company because I think it's on the uptake, but, you know, that's happened to me twice now. So it's just a shift in the market, you know. Uh, and are you prepared to to answer that if if it happens? Well, we're diversifying. We've got different we've got different products now being released. So we are diversifying. We're not going on the road of focus um, and having the the risks that come along with that. Um, so we are diversifying. Um, you'll see that come out like probably i don't know february mm, interesting yeah looking forward project to that yeah project management software so mm. yeah you have some fierce competition in this yeah. in this but field we, right but we just we have it we have it um it's just so related you know it's so related so we yeah. can there, there's a there, the logic our logic is that we can do a lot of things so Right now, we have 30 integrations with PM softwares, which is great. They they work fine, but the problem is we can't we can't we can't just do whatever we want to with their API. There's very it's limit. There's very high limits in terms of what we can do. By building our own, we we have full access to do whatever we want to do, which is going to help us out a lot. So, uh, are you going to stop providing support for those, or are you going to do both? Oh, we're, no, we're, we're going to do both for sure. Yeah, both okay. for sure. And just to come back, I'm interested about the allegory that you made around the shed and the castle, right? Mm-hmm. When you started out, did you build a the, the size of a castle in wood or did you build a very tiny tower made of stones? Uh, do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, it was a... So we started out... I don't know how to I don't know how to answer that question, but I, but here's how I'll say it. We started out by um, by investing twenty six thousand dollars a piece, and we spent about probably forty thousand of that on our first prototypes. And in terms of um, Mac and Windows clients that could that could track time um, on Mac and Windows, and then the beginnings of the web. And so, if we wanted to, we could just have stayed there. And we would have had a product. We had that's how that was our free product. And we had people coming in the door left and right. People we actually launched with that just as long as it as soon as it got stable enough where they could stay online, not crash, that kind of thing, we started charging. Um and we didn't have a lot of the features that we have now. So basically it was always built on good foundation, I guess you'd say, but it was much smaller. So I guess it was a I guess it was a I guess I would say it was a, a tower of stone, but now we have we've we've built onto it many, many times around. So that's the, I guess, the, the best way I can describe it. Gotcha. Right. So let, let's just take it the for a second. Let's say we are a digital marketer. You are a digital marketer, uh, part of a small business like Hubstaff was when it started out. Let's say five, six employees. The product is good, right? Uh, so it's one thing already uh, ticked in the to-do list. But your task to increase awareness for this company and, and to increase sales, it doesn't really matter, I think, whether it's a SaaS business or e-commerce or, or, or physical store, what will be the number one thing that this person that you that you would do starting today? I would probably create pages on the site that I would I would I would think about first of all. I just try to identify a lot of things have come to us since we've identified our customer. Um, so I think that you've got to have a good idea about your customer like the golf thing was really really easy i had to know their pain points because i and i already knew that because i was a golfer um but like it's like oh you gotta you gotta think that anybody going to visit golfdigest.com or or golf.com is going to be somebody that could be a potential customer 
Well, right now with Hubstaff, it's very hard. And generally, I think it is a lot harder with B2B companies because you don't know exactly who your customer is. You don't know exactly who's buying the product. There's a business and we know that they're generally a remote business. But how do you target a remote business? It's very hard to target a remote business because not all remote businesses want software like what I offer. Just like, I guess, not all golfers want golf instruction, but at least you know that they're a golfer, right? With mm. this remote business, number one, they're hard to target. Uh, so you got to go a lot deeper than that. You got to go a lot deeper than that, understand what they're truly. So I would, I guess I, what I'm saying is if you don't understand the customer, make sure you understand the customer. Then it becomes a lot easier to actually target them and try to figure out what should I write about if I'm going to blog? What terms should I go after if I'm going to do SEO? How should I write my pages? Who am I going to, who am I, um, you know, uh, who am I writing for? Because then all your marketing changes from there on. So it's like a, a lever that you can pull to say everything that I'm going to do at this point in time is going to become a lot more valuable because now I know who my, my real customer is. So what I did to do that was I took all the free people that I had got into the, into the system and basically what I did was I looked at their email addresses and I went either to LinkedIn to find them on LinkedIn or I went to the domain of their email address. If it was like davidhubsack.com, I could tell, you know, what company they were from. Then I went to the – then I got a Google document out and I, I basically recorded the, the person's email address and then I basically categorized what kind of business I saw when I went to their domain. Or when I when they said that they're the owner of so and so startup, like what you know, what kind of business is that? Is it and I had like enterprise software, I had startups, I had agencies, I had freelancers, I had you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so by doing that, I actually started I learned so much. So now I know who to so that would be the first thing. That would be the first thing. And then after that, you it's a lot easier to like then you start blogging for all of these different people. You start paid ads for all these people. And paid ads might be the first thing I would do because it's so easy. It's so easy and fast. That would be the first thing. So I think that has the highest ROI. Now, we haven't had any ROI on paid ads. We don't do paid ads because they didn't work for us at, at, at this point in time since our product's paid. But I would say that'd be the first thing I'd do because then I would learn a lot about, you know, whether it did, maybe it did, maybe, maybe it would have worked, you know? Sure. I'd like to ask you one more question about the B2B side of things. But before that, did you do anything like a marketing campaign or marketing activity or something involved, uh, like involving marketing that you are, that you are not proud of whatsoever with Hubstaff? No. So everything that you did was like, you really st- were proud of it. Didn't make any mistakes in marketing or maybe the business oh, I made, I've made tons of mistakes, but I'm not, it's not that I'm not, pr- I, 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 I guess I'm looking at it and saying, there's nothing that I wish I, I'd have no regrets because okay, basically you know, I, I've, I learned so much from my mistakes and that's the thing. And now after being in business for, for four years, you know, now I know, like I know, I know all these things. I know what didn't work. We tried everything. And only by trying things, do you understand what works and what doesn't and what, what to focus on. What do you think was your biggest mistake in terms of marketing? My biggest mistake in terms of marketing has been to basically go give an ad agency, you know, $75,000 because, and to trust them. Because they don't know, and they did, didn't didn't do any any better job than what you know what I would have done. It looked better, it felt better. I had a lot of faith in it. Conversion wise, nothing. So, where are the online ads? Yeah, uh, website landing pages, online ads. Yeah, the whole thing didn't do it. Didn't do anything for sales. So, and so now you are rely on your own staff and like internally to do that yeah now yeah i mean now i would never just trust somebody with that kind of money and budget again um you know i mean it, it you know i'd have to understand a lot more before it's really easy for an ad agency to go to an agency and say hey you know like it's the first thing that happens is they're like holy shit, are you serious? This is working this well and this looks this bad. And it, how do you mean? So we can double sales. We can double, we can triple sales. <laughs> it's like, how are you not supposed to like, be like, uh, all right, like that sounds really good. 
I mean, I could make ROI on that. But then you get it, and it's like it does look better, but actually conversions were worse. What are you gonna? What are you gonna do? What then? What do you do? Nothing. So I think the best is just small tests and trying to figure out, you know, hey, is this real? You know, make it, make them prove it on some level before, you know, before committing to a bigger project. Yeah, right. Coming back to the B two B side. Let's say you are now a digital marketer in B2B, which I think you pretty much are. I mean, that's one of the hats yeah. you're wearing. What would be the number one, what's the number one channel that you've tried that worked for you or number one campaign or activity that you would recommend to others to try? Search. And that is basically blogging. So search or blogging. And they're kind of the same thing. I mean, it's, it's, uh, uh, we don't, all, all those posts that you were talking about earlier, the growth posts about how it, you know, we don't get a lot of paid customers from that, but we get a lot of reach that we get a lot of branding from that, which contributes to trust. You know, that's the stuff that I send the customer, the, the trials that are already coming in the door, you know, so we, we send them that. So that, that's, you know, one side of it, but I don't, I think what I would start with is like just, um, putting out some content related to, the the thing that you believe your clients are truly searching for, like if they're searching for like, you know, I don't know, like an example, I don't know, email software, you know, just try to become, you'd be surprised. I mean, yes, it's a hard software, but you got to, well, that's a hard market I meant to say, but like, you got to like whittle it down to be like, all right, how many related terms are there to email software? And what does the product really do? Like, is it, is it, I'm sure it's more than just email software. Like, it's like, like, where is it in? What's the specialty? Is it marketing automation? Is it? Do you focus on spam, lower spam complaints, higher deliverability? There's all these things. You know what I'm saying? And then you basically do keyword research and you try to figure out okay, what people are searching for, what, what, where, what, and then you just write on that topic and try to become the best at that topic. Try to become the best expert in that topic. And that's really a small topic, because by doing that, basically you're using all the other keywords you'd be using um and it could be a landing page or it could be a blog it doesn't really matter in terms of that um but just putting out content based on a very very small niche that's how we got started in term that that's how we got started and that's how basically um like we were able to get at the top of the engines for a few keywords but customers start coming in if you're ranking it like number 30 you know no one's going to come Hmm. So you got to focus on the keywords you can get to the top. So laser focus instead of trying to talk about everything. And it's like, just do, like seriously, do pick out that one thing in the product, that one thing in the product, niche it down, and then do like not one, not two, like 30, like 30 posts on that one thing. And then see what happens, you know, and do those 30 posts like as soon as possible. And uh, if it doesn't work for you, you can email Dave and just <laughs> tell him all about it. <laughs> well, I mean, it, the thing is, is like, the thing is, if you good good content, it's always going to be an asset. So that's the one thing about content; it pays you back over and over and over. So if it doesn't work right away, probably is because your you know your your site hasn't been around long enough, your domain hasn't been. But you'd also be surprised in terms of what hits. Like something's going to hit. Maybe one of those posts. That's why you said. That's why I said do thirty. Because you never know what post is going to hit. You know, you pick out 30 keywords related to this little niche of whatever you picked out, email deliverability put it, like there's something in there that's going to hit and you're going to be top of the ranks for that one little thing and that's what's going to bring you traffic and you're going to become the expert in that space. And so it's not that hard to do, but you got to niche it out. Okay, point taken. Um, I think it's very good advice, this laser focus. One. Um, what do you think marketers should uh, should learn today that will help them in the next five years or ten years? Uh, all the people that I'm trying to find are technical in nature. So when somebody's not technical, when they can't design or when they can't do some type of coding, it's tough. You know, it's tough because they're not they're not able to do a lot of things that I I basically need two people. Then I got to I got to involve development to make changes. Hmm. which I don't like that. So most of my marketing team now is technical in nature. I've got about two or three that are not, but they can still operate the blog. You know, they can still gotcha. do things on the blog. They can still do things with marketing automation, that kind of thing, but they can't, you know, do things like submitting pull requests. Most of the people I'm looking for are. So basically I would say 
you, it, you're going to go a lot longer if you're technical in nature. What are the three resources that marketers should should read or, or, or view or anything? What are the top three you would recommend? There's a, I'm trying to think about where I heard this. There's a book called Traction that's interesting. I like that. I like their uh, viewpoint in terms of what to do after you find a channel that works. I like mm-hmm. their viewpoint on channels. I like their viewpoint on what to do after you find a channel that works. Uh, so the, the book called Traction, there's a book called um, Growth Hacking, I believe it's called. Um, and that is, um, I forget who wrote that, but it's th- I think it's just called Growth Hacking. Um, and then there is one called the 80-20 principle. And that's an old one, but one that's very valuable. Okay. Um, who else do you think I should interview next? Transparency and marketing. I really like, I mean, I don't know if you can get him or not, but I really like uh, Shaw. He's transparent. He's good. Seems like a nice guy. Obviously very smart. I think that um, there's. we follow the WP Curve blog. Mm-hmm. They're from Australia, um, so I follow. I follow them. I like what they do. I like the the post they write a lot. And I'm missing one, I believe. Um, who's the other? I don't know. I, I I forget the third one. But there's another one that I follow in that same kind of vein. I like the guy that runs uh, for instance Nathan. Uh, Nathan Barry from Covertly. Yeah, that. I mean, he's killing it. So, and he's, he's transparent. Yeah. So he's, he's doing very, very well. And this company's doing very well. But I mean, all these guys to a point are transparent. You have to be. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's coming back to the point of one of the first points you made, what companies do you admire out there? And probably most of them are transparent. Yeah. I mean, all of them are, they have to teach, you know, you have to teach somehow something, you know, uh, and to teach, you have to, you know, teach their experience. So, Mm -hmm. Dave, thank you so much for your time. Um, yeah. Where can listeners connect with you, hear from you? Uh, so my email is just David Hubstaff. They can email me. My blog is basically blog.hubstaff.com forward slash grow. So that's a little bit to remember, but basically just if you just Google Hubstaff growth blog, you'd find it. But that's a that's my best stuff, I think, um, that I put out there. And it's all basically, like you said in the beginning, how everything we've done from zero to where we are now in revenue and how we got there when the decisions we made. Twitter is at Hubstaff. So I get those. That's it, really. Okay, thank you. To the listeners out there, I will share the notes and all the stuff we, we talked about with Dave today in the, in the blog notes uh, and all the resources you mentioned as well. Uh, Dave, once again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email lists uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. we I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get and I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests and perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday so don't be afraid to subscribe I'm not going to spam you and you can always unsubscribe for sure if you wish the second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback we know that this show is not perfect yet and we always Uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me an email and the last thing i like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode please share it to your friends your colleagues or whoever might like it and also please review it on itunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast because if you leave us a five-star review it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker So thank you so much once again and au revoir.
And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.